You know, this was kind of a challenging week. Did anybody else have a challenging week? Was it just me? No, everybody else? Okay, good. I'd hate to think I was the only one the devil was picking on this week. That would make me kind of feel a little singled out. You know, it's a great thing, though, when the devil's attacking, right? Because, number one, it means you're probably doing something right. Because if he's not bothering you, typically it means there's no reason for him to bother you. So that's a good thing. When we have attacks, that's a good sign. And it's great to remember that no matter what comes up, we serve a living God who is able. Amen? He never promised the road would be always smooth. Sometimes it's going to have bumps. He never said we wouldn't go through a valley, but he did promise to always be with us. He did promise to always see us through to the other side. And that gives us comfort. Amen? Amen. Well, you know, I'm looking at the clock, and uh, you guys remember last week, right? We got done early. So that time carries over to this week, right? Is that, is that how that works? I'm not getting any yeses out there. Okay, so, well, you know, praise God. I tell you, it's God's service. We're going to do what God wants, and I'm going to get started on this. I think we can make it with the time we've got. So uh, as I used to have a pastor say, sit back, hold on, here we go. So, <laughs> you know, last week we were talking about faith, right? And the immense amount of power that's associated with faith. All through the Bible, you see faith constantly mentioned, and you constantly see the power that God displays through people who believe. We learned in John chapter 1 how Jesus is referred to in the beginning as the Word of God, and that through Him all things were made, right? Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. That's in John 1, 3. And when we try to wrap our head around that, that that's a hard thing, just a concept right there, one little sentence in, in Scripture. Nothing that is made has been made, right, except through Jesus. So what were some of the things that were created? Well, we have the Genesis account, right? So you have all the things on the earth. That right there would be enough to just stop and make you marvel when you really think about it. You know, God has blessed us with some scientific insight over the last few hundred years that we can now look into the realm of the microscopic and we find all these little particles you can't even see and how they interconnect and how they, they make things happen. And if you're like me, I love physics. I'm not a mathematician by any far stretch of the imagination, but I love physics. I think it's a fascinating thing. And they've found these little particles now that they've proved mathematically that have just got some amazing properties. That Some of them go forward and backward, apparently, in time at random. There's no reason why they know they do these things. Uh, it, and it's, it's stuff that's at the subatomic level that binds things together. And you think about it, when God spoke creation into existence, that was all part of it. And there's so much more we don't even know that's there that God has already put in place. We look at the larger things. You look at the planets. You go further out, you look at the stars. You go further out, you look at galaxies. There are things out there that are absolutely amazing and beautiful that we've been able to take pictures of now with things like the Hubble telescope and these other programs. Just amazing, beautiful things out there in creation that God just has out there. And then we read about things. That This was an article I saw the other day. There's these, you know, you've heard about black holes, right? Well, apparently they've found these things now. They call them supermassive black holes. I, you know, I know, scientific names aren't always that, that fancy, right? But apparently these are huge things that can devour entire galaxies' worth of material. And you try to wrap your head around something that large, and you think when God said, you know, let there be light, and he went through creation... That was all something that happened right there. He made all that stuff. God spoke. And when he spoke, that word was spoken in faith. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things what? Which do not exist as though they did. Romans 4, 17. 
Now think back to last week. We talked about Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what? Things not seen. So we see this power in faith. Just look at some of the things Jesus did through faith when he was here. He caused the blind to see. Uh, you know, Matthew 9, you find that. He multiplied food. There's one instance of that's in Matthew 14, right? You remember the loaves and the fishes? He took something in the natural. It was a small amount. He prayed. He gave thanks to God. And there was basketfuls left over after he had fed thousands. And he did that not once but twice in Scripture. He changed water into wine. You know, for a long period of time in, in the scientific community, that was a big thing was this idea of transmutation. How you could turn something like lead into gold, right? People tried to study for years how to do that and how to change elements from one end to the other. But Jesus did that. First miracle he had when he started going into his ministry, right? He turned the water into wine. That's in John 2. That was all done through faith. He healed incurable diseases. Mark 1 is just one example of that. He healed deformities in Mark 3. He raised the dead. I mean, you can see this progression of miracle after miracle after miracle of things that we have no comprehension of how it was done in the natural. It was done through faith. He raised Lazarus, then later he raised himself. And then finally we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 90 what he ascended into heaven. And faith also features so prominently throughout the entire Bible. You know, I told you Hebrews 11.1 1 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. That whole chapter is worth reading. It's amazing to wrap your head around. Because just in that one simple chapter of Scripture, you have God creating the universe. You have reference to Abel's sacrifice, Enoch who was taken up into heaven. You have Noah, Abraham, the miraculous conception that God gave to Sarah. You have Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the walls of Jericho. Those came down by faith. And I've always wanted to be a fly on the wall for that miracle. Because I'm trying to picture, you know, it's 4th of July, we're thinking about our military, so I try to picture what would this have been like? You've got your generals together, you're in a foreign country, and you come up against the greatest fortified city in the known world at that time. Jericho's walls were supposedly so thick that they, scholars tell us that you could actually run chariots, like not just one, but like multiple chariots across the tops of these walls. So they were that thick. And this was before they had things like your, your catapults, your trebuchets, so it's not like they were hurling massive boulders at these things. So siege warfare was kind of primitive, right, at this time. And so your general staff comes together and you say, how are we going to get into the city? And you say, here's my plan. We're going to get these musicians together. Now, I don't know about you, but now right off the bat, I'm kind of thinking, no, no, no. okay, I thought the generals were coming in. The comedians got to go out. We need some military people here. And they say, no, 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 this is going to be great. We're going to march around the walls. Okay, and then what? And we're going to blow our trumpets. Okay, fantastic. And we're going to do this for so many days. Okay. And on the last day we're going to march, we're going to give this great shout, the walls are going to come down. You know, okay, I'm kind of sitting there thinking, that takes a lot of faith just to say we're going to go with that plan, right? But they did. And what does Scripture tell us? The walls came down. Why? Because the people had faith. They had the word from God. They didn't question it. They said, okay, God says to do it. That's good enough for me. We're going to go out and do this. And they did. And the world was literally changed in a period of time because of faith. You have Rahab, remember? She was delivered because she helped the spies out during that time. 
Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, the list goes on, all through faith. And yet as powerful as faith is, the Bible says there's something greater still. Now think about what we've just covered. We've created the universe through faith, right? God did that. He's done all these other miracles, all these things recorded in Scripture, and yet he says there's something even greater than that. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now, love's not one of those things that commonly gets talked about a lot anymore. Uh, I think it's kind of in that same category. People kind of lump it in with sin and other things. It's like, well, we just kind of know what that is as a church. Let's move on to other topics. And this is one God kept bringing back to my mind this week. I, I was praying about it, and I've got to be honest, I really kind of struggled with, with the message today. So I thought, you know, God, what, what do you want to talk about? And it was kind of quiet for a few days. And then this, this theme of love kept coming through my head. And I thought, well, okay. You know, let, let's get into this. Let's pray a little bit about it. See what you want to talk about. And I think we have to go back and start off with a conception. Because before I like to give a lesson, I like to make sure we're all on the same page. Because that way, you know, we're all kind of going in the same direction. So let's look at it first off. Now, the world's definition of love is not what we're talking about. Okay, just up front. Because the worldly definition does what? It relies on feelings, right? If you have acceptance, if you feel like you belong, you feel loved, it can change moment to moment. You know, you, you hear people, oh, I'm totally in love with this, or I love this. The next minute, oh, I hate that, I can't stand it. It's back and forth. It's never constant. Worldly love is never constant. And it's used interchangeably with acceptance. In other words, what it means is there's no correction, you hear this all the time today, well, this is just the way I am, and if you love me, you accept the way that I am. And sometimes the way that we are is not the way God wants us. And because I love you, I need to tell you that what you are doing is not okay. Now, that's biblical love. Because sometimes God love, he tells us things we don't want to hear, amen? In worldly love, there's no correction. We're just all supposed to accept things. It has to include happiness. If you're not happy, that, that, can't be, that can't be love. Generally, it implies some form of physical contact. You know, I think the Bible refers to that as fornication, but that, that's kind of typically called love today. The biggest difference is that worldly love is always going to focus inward. Self is always at the center of worldly love, always. Now, the biblical definition, we actually find several in there. In the Greek, just a few that I picked out. The first one you may have heard of, agape, right? means affection or benevolence. There's agapeo, which means to love in a social or a moral sense. And that's kind of an interesting concept, right? How many of you would think you love somebody in a social or a moral sense, maybe? That's kind of that looking out for somebody, right? Phileo means to be a friend to. Philotechnus, maternal love to children, right? That's another one, kind of that love of, of family. In the Hebrew, uh, we see the word kashak, which means to cling, to delight in. That's one of the words God uses in how he loves us. Ahab, that, that's another one you may have heard of as a name, but also in the Hebrew, it means to have affection for. And the one common theme that you'll notice in all these biblical definitions, and this is just a few that I picked out. If you go back to your concordance, you'll find a lot more. But in every single instance, the focus is always outward. It's never here. It's always here. Now, of the three things mentioned in 1 Corinthians, they're in that order for a reason. You know, God's Word is amazing. It really doesn't need any help, right? 
It says what it needs to say. And the order that God puts things in is the order they need to be in. So what do you see in 1 Corinthians? You see hope, faith, and love in that order. Because why? Hope leads to faith. Right? When we first hear that gospel message about Christ and about this Savior who can forgive us of our sins, we hope that it's true. Because there's something in our spirit that God is stirring up that says, I'm not the way I need to be. That hope then turns to faith as we hear God's word. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by what? The word of God. And then out of that faith, we get to love. Faith is always the power that gets the job done, but it's love that's going to prompt us into action. Let's look at just a couple of passages. In John chapter 11, we see this is verses 33 through 46. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and this is again the passage about Lazarus, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And Jesus says, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Now Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of Lazarus, by this time there's a bad odor for it's been four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, and Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And then look at this, therefore... Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. It was Jesus' love for his friend Lazarus that prompted him to take this action in faith. This action became a witness to others who then in what turn put their faith in him. If you go back to look at some of the list of the miracles early we talked about that Jesus performed, what was the motivating factor behind every one of them? Behind all of them was love. He had compassion upon the sick. There was love in his heart for all of that. Love is what prompts us into action. It's not the works themselves. It's the motivation behind the works, which is why we should be looking for opportunities to serve. You know, we talk about in church all the time, hey, we've got this opportunity, we have this opportunity coming up. If we're not looking for opportunities to serve others, it may be a good time to kind of do a spiritual compass check on ourselves. And that's not said in judgment. It's not said if, you know, hey, you're not doing something that's bad on you. It's kind of the, the concept that once you're saved, you want to grow in your faith. You want to grow closer to God. You want to be more like Christ. And to be more like Christ, Christ was a servant. He was looking for opportunities to serve others. If we're going to follow that example, we need to do the same thing. But we have to have the right obligation, or the right motivation, rather. It has to be genuine. It can't be out of obligation. You know, being in church, sometimes you, you get into these things where sometimes jobs have to be done in a church, right? You've got offices that need to be filled. You've got departments that need to be run. You've got the mechanics that have to take place. 
And when you're looking for volunteers, usually what happens is you run into this, this concept in ministry where you say, you know what, nobody's stepping up, this has to be done, I'll do it. I'm going to serve, I'm going to do this. It's not that we necessarily feel led to do it, but out of obligation, I've got to get this done. And sometimes that has to happen. But I think really if we're doing it the way God intended it to be done, if you're prayed up, you feel led, you feel called, God puts someone there who's called to do it. The reason God calls people to certain areas is because God has given you the gift to minister in that area. And just as we see here in all these other examples, by doing that in faith, God in turn blesses others and brings them to a faith in Him. It's how He designed it to work. You know, there's an older song that used to be out that says, If we're the body, why aren't His hands healing? Why aren't His feet going? Sometimes I think that, you know, instead of us waiting on God, I think God's waiting on us to make that decision to step out. 1 John chapter 4, 7-12 through 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this the love of God was manifested where? In us. That God has sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. God is always going to see the intent of our heart before the deed itself. We see that in 1 Samuel 16. It says, what man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, it may be, we go through a lot of, of things, right? I call them knocks through the week. You get knocked around a lot, right? The devil comes at us with things. And sometimes they come from the places that, that they shouldn't, from those who are closest to us. You know, sometimes maybe family strife, family issues, or friends. And sometimes the devil wants to use those to kind of wheedle you, you know? You'll be going along thinking you're doing all right, and he'll bring something up. Hey, you remember when so-and-so did this to you? You remember when this happened to you that was bad? And then there you go, your mind gets distracted and off we go. You know, sometimes we need to do those self-examinations where we ask, are we holding a grudge against someone? Do we have that feeling like we've been wronged and we can't let it go? We can't offer that forgiveness to let it go. Maybe you've done something wrong to someone else. You know, if you look at your Christian walk and you say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm where I need to be with God right now. I'm not growing like I should. I've kind of hit this wall. Maybe this is an area that we need to look at. You know, it tells us in Matthew 5, it says, Leave your offering before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, why did God say that? Because when we're carrying those weights, that grudge, that animosity towards other people, you can't walk in love and forgiveness and hold a grudge against someone at the same time. It doesn't work. It's like oil and water. They're never going to mix. You know, maybe you feel condemned and unloved. Maybe you've had some serious issues in your life and you just feel like, you know, nobody cares, nobody loves me. You look at the news, this is a very serious concern now. The suicide rates are up all over the place. You know, behind those feelings, though, is a fear, right? Fear of rejection, fear of whatever it may be. But there's fear behind that. 
Look at what 1 John has to say about that, though. In chapter 4, it says, There is what? No fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Don't you love how God doesn't pull any punches? For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he hasn't seen. Now that's getting kind of serious. We say we love God, but if we don't love our neighbor, if we don't love those around us, if we don't want to meet their needs and help them and do what we can to, to lift people up and encourage them, God just says it right there. I mean, he doesn't pull any, any punishment with or punches with it. You don't love your brother, you can't love God. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And again, why this constant focus on love? Because we have to have love in order to prompt our faith into action. It doesn't do us any good just to have faith if there's no love, right? Look at what James says. I love this in James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. If we don't have that love, that motivation inside us to put feet on our faith, it doesn't do us any good. And if Satan can knock us off our love walk, he's basically benched us as Christians. You ever think about playing in a big game? Now, I'm not a sports guy. You can, you can probably look. I never really played football or anything, right? But the idea of getting out and giving your all 100% on a game, right? You want to be in that game. You want to be out there making the plays. But if you're benched, you're not doing anything except watching it all happen. You're not going anywhere. You're not growing. And nothing's ever going to change. I think that the Apostle Paul said it best. And we're just going to take a look at this quickly, and we'll close with this. I'm sorry. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. Because we're talking about faith. We're talking about these amazing things, all these gifts in the church. And as Pentecostals, you know, we love to talk about the gifts that God's blessed the church with, with speaking in tongues, prophecy. But look what Paul says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love... I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in what? In the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. And we can take comfort from that today, knowing that whatever trials we have, whatever that the devil has thrown against us, God's love never fails. Whatever he has called you to do, if you feel called in your spirit to do it by faith, pray about the love part and step out knowing that love never fails. Where he's called you, he will lead you, he will guide you, he will provide for you, no matter what. If it's an issue that you have been carrying something in your spirit that needs to be let go, let today be the day. If you said to yourself, you know, I'm not where God needs me, there's something there that's just not like it needs to be. If God has brought to your mind somebody that you need to talk to, 
Maybe you don't understand why. I just need to go talk to this person. You know, call that person up. Have that conversation. If there needs to be forgiveness, we need to extend it. If there needs to be reconciliation, we need to be the one to make that first step. Because we're never going to go where God needs us if we don't get the love part right. Paul says that if I do all these great things for God, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. So let that be our prayer today, and we'll close with that. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask God that you would please help us all today, Father. Because all of us have areas, Lord, where you're constantly growing us, you're constantly working on us, Father, because we need you in our life. And Lord, we want to be effective witnesses for you. We want to be filled with your spirit and we want to do the work you have called us here to do, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to grow our love walk this week, Father, that we would seek others and their good as opposed to seeking our good, Lord. That we would put other people ahead of ourselves, that we consider others ahead of ourselves, Father. And that we would do that with the right motivation, being like Christ, who gave up everything. Son of the Most High God gave up everything to become a servant here for us, Lord. It's our prayer today, God, that you would help us to be more humble, to be more Christ-like, to be more servants, Father, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, and that we would do that all out of love for each other and love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.